0: This Faith and Finance podcast is underwritten in part by Christian Healthcare Ministries. Are you finding it increasingly challenging to find affordable healthcare? Christian Healthcare Ministries is a budget-friendly, biblical, and compassionate healthcare cost-sharing alternative that aligns with your Christian values, and it's available in all 50 states and around the world. Learn more at chministries.org/faithby
1: 2 Corinthians 9 7 reads, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I am Rob West with some questions for you. Is it more important to give consistently or in a way that pleases God? And can you do both? I'll answer those questions today and then it's on to your calls at 800 525 7000. That's 800 525 7000. This is Faith and Finance, Biblical Wisdom for your financial journey. Well, I'd first like to thank our friends at Christian Stewardship Network for a terrific article on this topic, Giving That God Accepts, and we'll put a link to it in today's show notes. Okay, now as Christians, we should be committed to doing things the right way. Christ with perfect righteousness is our role model, but our fallen sinful nature often leads us astray, not in trying to be righteous, but more often in the reason why we try to act in a righteous way. If we're doing it to prove ourselves to God, we go astray. And it's in giving, perhaps more than any area of life, that our attempts at righteousness miss their mark. In one sense, that's understandable, because giving involves numbers that are easily totaled up. Our giving provides proof, to us at least, that we're doing the right thing. Other righteous acts, like prayer and worship, are less concrete. We may wonder if we're doing them enough, but we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. That's not the case with our giving. The numbers speak plainly. Do you frequently check your watch as you study God's word or pray, uh, pressing on until you can prove to God and yourself that you've committed enough time? I certainly hope not. That's a poor way to show your faithfulness, as it would be with your giving. But because giving always involves a specific amount, it's far too easy to think that giving more means we're more spiritual. We think that giving 15% of our income requires more faith than giving 10%. So what sort of giving does God accept? Well, we can look to King David for an example of a generous giver. David likely gave billions of dollars worth of treasure to build the temple in Jerusalem. But it wasn't the size of the construction budget that pleased God. It was the way that David gave to complete this massive project. No amount of giving can sway God one way or the other. He already owns 100% of anything we give back to his kingdom. He doesn't need the money. What do you give to someone who has everything? Well, to quote David in Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. You see, God owns everything because he created everything. He's completely self-sufficient and needs nothing from us. But he does want to have a relationship with us. God requires us to give a portion of what he gives us back to his kingdom because he wants us to be a part of it. God made us in his image, and he desires relationships, so he made us that way, too. And that's how we need to understand giving. David understood this, and we'll see in Psalm 51 how he acts properly. Let's set the stage. The prophet Nathan had called out David for his adultery with Bathsheba and sending her husband Uriah off to die in battle to cover his sin. That takes place in 2 Samuel 11, and in verse 15, David tells his battle commander, set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. Now, obviously, David sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah, but he understood that his sin born of covetousness was ultimately against God. Now to Psalm 51 and verse 16, where David reveals something about God that should direct us in how we give. He writes, You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. If money could buy God's forgiveness, David probably would have given everything. But he knew God wouldn't accept his gift. However extravagant, God wanted nothing material from David. David goes on to write, The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. That's what God desires from us, a broken, repentant heart. And that's what David gave him. You see, we must let that be the basis of all we do, including our giving we can mislead ourselves into thinking that our gifts in and of themselves please God and qualify us for his blessing. True, he's pleased by our generosity, but only if it's accompanied by a repentant and broken spirit. Ultimately, God accepted David's offering, and that's why David is called a man after God's own heart. I hope that's an encouragement to you today. All right, your calls are next, 800-525-7000. I'm Rob West, and we'll be right back. When we follow Jesus, the things of this world grow strangely dim. We focus less on ourselves and more on God's kingdom. In Michael Blue's book, Free to Follow, we're reminded to surrender everything to Jesus and follow him. Free to Follow explores what the Bible says about money and possessions and challenges you to rethink the way you view and use them. Request a copy of Free to Follow with your gift of any amount to faithfi.com follow. Every day, FaithFi is working to meet people right where they are. Through our national radio program, app, and website, we're helping people put their faith in God and not in money and possessions. And we're encouraging and equipping Christians to have a passionate pursuit for sacrificially living and giving the money entrusted to them. If you believe in and have benefited from FaithFi, would you consider becoming a monthly FaithFi patron? Learn more about the FaithFi Patrons membership at faithfi.com and click Give. Welcome back to Faith and Finance. I'm Rob West. All right, it's time to take your calls and questions today, no matter what your Thinking about financially speaking, we'd love to tackle it. The number to call is 800-525-7000. That's right. We've got a few lines open and we'd love to hear from you today. 800-525-7000 is the number to call. Hey, before we dive in today, in the news, the Treasury Department is reporting that the IRS has flagged, listen to this, over a million tax returns for possible identity theft. Now, the scope of the action shows that scammers filing false tax returns to get refunds remains a pervasive problem. On the other hand, these are just flagged. Uh, This is an automatic uh, process. They review them. They uh, flag them. They may or may not eventually be fraudulent. Uh, At this point, the IRS says it's confirmed that only about 13,000 of them were actually fake. But the bottom line is you need to be on your guard. uh, And the best way to ensure that identity thieves don't file a fake return in your name is to get what's called an identity PIN from the IRS. You can do that at irs.gov. Once the PIN is issued, uh, it's required to file a return, and scammers won't have it, of course. Similar to uh, freezing your credit report, where a scammer would be stopped in their tracks from opening a credit line or taking out a loan in your name, because when the lender goes to check your credit, they won't have the pen and they'll be uh, stopped right there. So uh, you may want to consider getting a uh, an identity pen from the IRS, but just beware of this possible uh, source of identity theft. All right, we're going to take your phone calls today. Again, uh, again, we have a few lines open, 800-525-7000. Let's begin today in Georgia. Marie, you'll be our first caller. Go ahead.
2: Hello, Rob. How are you?
1: I'm well, thank you. Thanks for calling. Uh,
2: thank you for taking my call. Uh, my husband and I are close to retirement, and uh, we have a very diversified portfolio. We were both teachers, so we have TIAA 403bs, annuity, Ira, Roth, REIT, market index funds, savings, so. Pretty diversified. And mm. even though we're close to retirement, uh, we need to understand all those funds and we don't need to withdraw any money from them in the near future. But when we do, which fund should we withdraw first?
1: Yeah, boy, it's a great question. And a lot of that is going to depend upon uh, how they're invested and the, tra- the tax treatment. Uh, of each of them. So the 403B and the IRA uh, are going to be pre-tax, potentially the annuity as well, most likely. Uh, The Roth will be after-tax money, and uh, the REIT uh, could go either way. Um, And then, of course, you've got your savings. So this really warrants, I think, Marie, uh, a comprehensive financial plan for somebody to help you sit down and look at all of these investment uh, options and accounts that you have. Uh, first of all, determining which ones can be combined, because what you may want to look at is, for instance, uh, once you separate uh, from the your service as a teacher, you could potentially roll the 403b into the IRA and uh, reduce the overall number of accounts that you have. And again, you're going to want to look at what are your income needs in retirement, what portion of that will come from either Social Security if you're eligible for it, or your uh, teacher's retirement, and then what portion will you need to t- take from your other retirement accounts that you've been saving in. And you'll want to look at what that income need is versus the total balance in the account to determine what's the appropriate amount to take out each month so that you can preserve these accounts for the rest of your life. And hopefully there's enough way, you know, in those accounts that uh based on your income needs, you should be able to, you know, cover your bills. And then as to which accounts to pull from first, again, that's going to come down to the investments in the accounts and ultimately the tax treatment because we're going to want to minimize taxes in this season of life. Uh, do you all have uh, a financial advisor that you work with?
2: No. Well, I mean, we have two TIA crests. Yeah, Uh okay. we, we did, but we don't have really any contact with them too much. I did okay. check out uh, their three CKA advisor here in Savannah, But I didn't know if we should be looking for a financial advisor or a financial planner, and are they the same?
1: Yeah, they can be, but not necessarily, and it really depends upon each advisor or planner's business. Uh, Oftentimes, a wealth manager or what you might commonly refer to as a a financial advisor or an investment advisor – focuses primarily on the investment portfolios, managing the investments. Many of them will also, either as a part of that service or as an additional charge, they will do comprehensive planning. And then you have straight financial planners that only do planning and are fee-only, and many of those, uh, you know, in some cases, they don't manage the money. They'll just do the planning. So you would really need to look into this, further. And you're really going to need both potentially. I mean, you'll certainly need somebody who can help you on the planning side. Just look at the assets you've accumulated, make sure they're invested properly, help compare the assets you have to your income needs in retirement and talk about cash flows, talk about offsetting any risk, whether that's, you know, dropping your life insurance at some point, considering long-term care insurance, make sure your um, estate plan is in place. All of those issues need to be addressed, and that's where a financial planner can come in. And then that person or someone else could also provide the wealth management where uh, you know you actually have somebody making the buy and sell decisions for your investment portfolios uh, so that you preserve what you have because you're moving into a, a capital preservation and distribution phase and away from a capital appreciation phase where you're just trying to grow it. You've been growing it throughout your working life. Now you're just trying to preserve it and convert it into an income stream, and I think that's where an advisor can be really helpful. Um, So I think to answer your question, potentially you need both, and they might be one and the same depending upon the advisor you choose. Does that make sense?
2: Yes, it does. Thank you so much,
1: Rob. You're welcome. I think that's your next step, Marie. After you have those meetings, feel free to reach back out to us if you have further questions. Also, if you didn't see it, there uh, is a list of interview questions at faithfi.com. When you click Find a CK right at the top of the page, that may help you just as you're interviewing and selecting that advisor to work with you. Marie, God bless you all. Thank you for calling today. I'm excited for what God has in store for you as you head into this next chapter of your lives. And uh, thanks for being on the program. Well, Folks, uh, we've got some room for a few more questions. Which we'd love to hear from you. The number to call today, 800-525-7000. Again, that's 800 Five two 7000 Let's take a couple of emails here quickly before we head to our first break, and then we'll head back to the phones. Roxana, Stephanie, if you can hold the line, we'll come to you right after the break. Uh, this email comes to us from Daniel. He writes, is there a website that will help me find out if a relative had an insurance policy before he passed away? And I will direct you, Daniel, to two websites. The first is uh, if you'll just do an internet search for the National Association of Insurance Commissioners, uh, Their website... Uh, has a policy locator service that will help you hunt down whether the person in question had an insurance policy or not. And then secondly is the National Association of Unclaimed Property Administrators website. It's pretty easy to remember. It's just simply missingmoney.com. Missingmoney.com. They have a search tool for all kinds of unclaimed property, not just insurance policies. So Daniel, you might want to check that out. We appreciate you writing to us. By the way, if you have a question you'd like read on the the air you can feel free to send it along to us ask rob at faithfi.com all right we're going to take a quick break and then back with more of your questions the number to call today with lines open 800-525-7000 again that's 800-525-7000 this is faith and finance where biblical wisdom meets today's financial decisions stay with us much more to come just ahead Hope for Zambia, empowered by Family Legacy, is a ministry providing hope to vulnerable and orphaned children in Zambia by investing into their spiritual, intellectual, physical, and emotional growth and well-being. Whether distributing 5 million meals each year to students or empowering them to graduate from high school and go on to pursue post-secondary education, we believe that when you educate a child, you change their world. Go to hopeforzambia.com to transform a life. My name is Kent and I'm a member of Christian Healthcare Ministries. I have a friend who actually has great insurance and she recently had a, a life-threatening experience and she was laying in the hospital bed afraid, not afraid for her life but afraid of what her insurance would or would not cover. And as a CHM member, I can honestly say I just never have that fear. I can't tell you the, the peace of mind that provides. Learn more about Christian Healthcare Ministries biblical cost sharing at chministries.org. Welcome back. This is Faith and Finance. I'm Rob West. We're taking your calls today, 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. To Chicago. Hey, Linda, go right ahead.
3: Good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. I am calling because I am clueless as to what is going on with this account that my mother has. Uh, My mother is not able to uh, take care of this. But my brother, who lives out of state, you know, mailed these things, her her mailings to me, insurance and papers like that. And I'm just overwhelmed with all of these papers. But listening to you the other day, and you're talking about uh, spring cleaning, that's what I started doing. And I had gotten this paperwork from her, my brother, back in October, and it meant nothing to me. I just filed it away. But here in uh the program the other day I looked through it and I said I would call you to find out if this is really a true account. The name of the um account or the is called trust. T R U I S T. Have you ever heard of trust? And it seems that mom has a check in and money market and market savings account.
1: Uh, yes, that's truest bank. And so Truist is the old Sun Trust and uh they were bought out and, and the new entity is called uh, Truist Bank. T-R-U-I-S-T. They're a a major national bank. Um, It's a relatively new name because it was as a result of a merger. But, uh, you know, there wouldn't be any issue there. So, yeah, this is just one of the financial accounts that your mom has, it sounds like.
3: I just don't know what to do. I just really don't. So
1: what's taking place here? So your brother is no longer managing her financial affairs and that's been now transitioned over to you?
3: Well, I don't know if he was even managing them then, but they were. He was living at her house, but then oh. she had to come and stay with me. Okay. So since she's staying with me, he sends you know me her mailings and. Yeah, But,
1: but you should get a monthly statement on all these accounts, which probably needs to be moved to your mailing address if that's where your mom now resides, and that should give you the most current information on all these accounts. I think your next step, Linda, is to start to make a listing, and it sounds like you've done that or you're in the process of doing it, of all of her assets and liabilities, so you need to chase down all, and he can help you with this. All the various accounts that she has, uh, checking accounts, savings accounts, any insurance policies that are out there, any retirement accounts, uh, any income sources like social security. You need to get all that in one place and then decide, you know, how you need to proceed in order to manage this wisely. If it's fairly simple, maybe you do it yourself. If there's something that's a bit more complicated, you, you could avail yourself of a, of an advisor who could help you with any investments or tax returns, things like that. But I think the Starting place is just to try to get a lay of the land and get all of this in one place with a detailed listing of assets and liabilities.
3: I appreciate that very much. I will look into that, but I'll give you the heads up. You are my advisor. So I will, um, you know, do those things and check out with truth.
1: Okay, truest, Yes, ma'am. Uh, very good. And if we can help further along the way, don't hesitate to reach out. Thank you for calling, Linda. Uh, let's stay in Illinois. Hi, Cynthia. Go right ahead.
0: Hi, Rob. Thanks so much for taking my call today. Sure. Yes, ma'am. But I lost my husband in 2014. Mm. At that time, I inherited like the portion that he had contributed to his uh, pension. Okay. And then a couple of years after that, I discovered that I could buy back my own pension that I had when I was working that I pulled out when I had surgery and resigned. Re- and I'm at a point now I turned 61 last month. Uh, I'm in a stressful job that I could actually retire from now because of my age and the service years. I think for me, the, the biggest part is when my husband passed, reality slapped me in the face and I really started to panic. So I actually, with another uh, movie, um, um Person, uh, I went out and actually got a trust and a you know, will and all that set up to try to put some things in place. I purchased cash, the home I'm living in now, with the insurance costs that I had from my husband. Okay. So I'm in a home that is totally paid for. When I purchased the home, I purchased it with my three children and all grandchildren in mind to leave something behind for them. Uh, my children have all told me that they would not want to live in the house. Uh, but they don't want me to sell it. They want me to keep it there to use like an uh, Airbnb or something like that. Uh, what I want to find out about is because I'm really behind, I feel, I thought I was doing a whole lot to try to uh, get on track and, and secure my future. Uh, but now I feel like I'm kind of drowning with all the things I have in place, but they're really not uh, going anywhere. So is there anything I can do with the existing Forty eight thousand that I had in the inherited IRA. I rolled it over to IRA when I first inherited when my husband passed. And I have vested out there. I did buy my three thousand dollars in the um
1: Okay. So you have the forty eight thousand that you inherited plus your pension. Do you know what your options will be on that pension? are they gonna give you a, a lump sum or a monthly payout?
0: I I believe that uh, I would have to take it as, I could take it as a lump sum, I believe, or just get it is monthly payout.
1: And do you know what that amount would be that you'd get as a lump sum?
0: The last time I got a, a, we get the report, we get like the reports twice a year, I believe, and the amount that they're talking is nowhere near what I'm used to living off of. I'm thinking that it's probably only, only going to be about 3000 a month Get that. Something will okay. about 3000 a month.
1: Okay. Do you know what the lump sum payout would be?
0: No, no, not offhand.
1: Okay. okay. And what about what is your age?
0: I'm
1: sixty one. Sixty one. Yes. Okay. So you're still a good ways off from Social Security. Yeah. I mean, I think the key here is to to do some planning. Uh, Cynthia, and perhaps getting you with a certified kingdom advisor, because what we need to look at is what are your expenses going to be in retirement? Uh, what will you get either as a lump sum or a monthly payout from the pension? Uh, the 48000 you know, in the inherited IRA, that's only going to throw off another couple of thousand dollars a year, maybe, you know, a couple of hundred a month. So let's say you're at 3200 a month on the annuity plus an income stream from the 48,000 or a lump sum. But I don't want you to run through that money too quickly. I want that money to last. So I think what you're gonna need to do, if you can, is just to continue to work as long as you can to get as close to full retirement age or at full retirement age of 66 or 67 so that you give the 48,000 a chance to grow um, and you can earn Social Security at the full amount and hopefully Social Security plus your pension plus whatever that uh, uh, IRA grows to over the next five years, that should do it. The only other thing I would say is, let's not focus on keeping the house for the kids, let's keep you in the right house that fits your budget. Stay on the line. We'll talk more off the air. That's going to do it for us. I hope you'll make plans to join us again next time for another edition of Faith and Finance. Faith and Finance is provided by FaithFi and listeners like you.